This is Emily Trinkis. Welcome to the Embodied Aquarian Age podcast. Today I have an amazing interview for you with Tanasi Rama Lazar, whom I recently met at the National Biodynamic Conference in Colorado. Tanasi was a speaker at the conference, and I was blown away by his talk and inspired to invite him on the podcast. Tanasi is a bioresonant farmer. You're about to find out what that means in Southern Oregon, and has a rich and varied background of many impressive accomplishments as an engineer, rock climber, yogi, permaculture designer, author, and researcher. He's the founder of the Mindful Earth Alliance with the vision of recreating community farms and villages and increasing local food production and access to organic, biodynamic, nutrient-dense food. I hope you find our conversation as inspiring as I did. Hi, Tanasi. Welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Aloha. Greetings. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. And um, so I was so inspired by your talk at the National Biodynamic Conference and super excited to talk with you about bioresonance. Um, the title of your talk was Bioresonance and the Evolution of Biodynamic Farming. So let's start with what is bioresonance? Okay, bioresonance is uh, the science of bringing resonant energy into life. And so resonance as a definition is basically like from a physical standpoint, you could see wavelengths. When two wavelengths resonate together, they harmonize. They come into um, the syncopation that allows for synchronicity. It allows for um, just multiplications of the power put in. So it's a true case of where one plus one can actually equal three when there's resonance. And so for me, I came up with the term bioresonant farming um, to describe the field of, of biology and agricultural sciences that is really increasing the life and the life force of the farm and the plants. Um, and for me, you know, my beginning started with... Uh, um, permaculture and there's cat management going on. I love it. Um, and, uh, yeah. And seeing that by really tying into the soil food web, um, I studied with Elaine Ingham, uh, in 2009 and 2012. And she, she was the first person that really taught me that it's like, don't feed the plants, feed the soil, you know, really, um, expand the life force of the soil and then you have this exponential growth and um, of the plants and the increasing of the the whole life biota um, of the soil food web and so from that I've you know got back into um, biodynamics and saw that these roots have gone way back but there's various groups of people and technologies that are um, all synergistically working together to create uh, healthier, stronger plants that, and healthier, stronger soil that has resiliency, that really, um, you know, doesn't get washed away when it, get, when it rains, doesn't burn up in the sun because there's a strong uh, colonies of, you know, microbes and mycelia and bacteria down there that really hold this web of life together. And so, yeah, as I apply um, the term bioresonant farming, it's the, the collection of this field and that field together that we can use to um, really restore life and fertility to our soils, um, many of which have been degraded by industrial um, chemical farming. So what I'm hearing is really paying attention to the invisible or the energetic, um, which of course is counter to the sort of dominant culture of hypermaterialism, where it's all about, you know, if we're thinking about farming, oh, we just need to pour more 
nitrogen into the ground or we need to till it or manage it in a certain way versus paying attention to the more subtle forces at play or the like deeper, you know, in terms of the um, fungi, like the, the deeper and less visible or less obvious um, uh, contributing factors to the plants. Exactly. Uh, the plants uh, have an intricate connection of um, feeding what they can receive through their photosynthesis to uh, the microbes, um, to the fungi. And the fungi, with their long-reaching you know, mycelial structures on the ground, can actually mine the different minerals uh, and turn them into a form that the plants can use them and exchange. So, um, you know, Lane Ingham would always say the plants are pulling in uh, sugars and starches um, that the mycelia needs and the mushrooms are mining uh, minerals from the rocks that the plants need and putting into form. And so, yeah, it's a very symbiotic relationship of, of building that um, and then there's the, you know, the other aspect, which comes more closer to the biodynamics of really listening to the, uh, to the connection between the plants and the planets and the plants and uh, the stars and really appeasing to the, the more subtle energies of the plants. Like each um, plant area has devas is what I call them. They're like the, spirit um, guides of those plants. And if we get to a point where we're really quiet in our own minds, we can hear and listen to those um, guiding spirits um, that I give the name Davis to. I had the opportunity, I lived in Costa Rica for eight years and uh, got to steward a property that was several hundred acres. And it was an, you know, an hour hike to the nearest road, a, hours drive to the nearest town and a pretty remote place. And from spending many years up there, got to the place of being able to really listen to and, and be, allow myself to be guided in the stewardship of this land. Um, and in that case, it was, you know, it was when I was new to tropical permaculture and I had a lot of ambition of what I wanted to do, I got to the point where I would like get a new plant on the property and, and then I would just really ask like, where does this plant want to get planted? You know? And then through sitting and getting silent enough, I could hear the, the plant divas like, Oh, I want to be right over here. These are the reasons why. And I would go plant it there and all of a sudden it would thrive and just like didn't need any care. It had everything that it needed. And, and it's tough these days when we're, you know, so engaged and so distracted and so surrounded by 5G that, um, yeah, that access to those higher dimensional worlds is a lot tougher and we have to work harder for it. It's still there, but, you know, breaking through this matrix of um, also hidden um, repressive forces around us is makes intuitive gardening, intuitive farming more difficult. And one of the reasons why we need to really create stronger community and uh, so that we can share and hold space for each other to allow each other to get back to that space of becoming more attuned with our gardens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I'm hearing that, you know, in terms of bioresonance, this is also about ourselves or, you know, as the, the tender or the farmer, the, the, caretaker of the plant life being more in tune to ourselves so that we can attune to the plants and actually be able to listen to them. Exactly. Yes. And it, it sounds like you were saying also that this is something that humans used to do more uh, naturally, that like kind of a lost art of relating to the earth, relating to plants, relating to our food. I, I feel that whether you look back in the indigenous cultures or even back in the early settlers or farmers, you know, and it's not that far back. You go back into the late um, 
1800s before the invention of, you know, tractors and uh, NPK fertilizers that came out right around the turn of the century, 18th, 19th, um, that, yeah, farmers were very much in touch with the land, very much in touch with the the animals and the spirits of that land. And they just had that intuitive sense of when to harvest, when to plant. Um, you know, I was, again, Costa Rica was such a foundational time for me because it's when I went from being a studied permaculturist to like, okay, here's a very full slate of land that you need to recreate and uh, carve um, a garden out of. And I found there that there was farmers that had no idea about these terms that I was using as far as, you know, biodynamics or, you know, soil food web or anything like that. But when I would go to cut things there to, um, you know, replant trees, you can cut them a lot and just stick them in the ground. The farmers would be like, oh, no, today's not the day to do that. And I'd be like, well, how do you know? And there was, they'd be like, well, listen to the ocean. And I was like, oh, my gosh, okay. I have to, like, reassess my entire framework. And they taught me over the years that I was there that by, you know, watching the moon and listening to the ocean, that there were certain days where the ocean, you know, which was 10 miles away, would pound at a specific frequency that let them know that there was something called menguante, which is the time that coincides exactly with the planting times and the or the cutting times, um, you know, of the biodynamic calendar. And these guys had never heard of Rudolf Steiner, never read anything about. So they're coming at it from their ancestral wisdom and knowledge um, of listening to uh, the waves and following the moon. And so, yeah, that that connection isn't so far away in some parts of the world. You know, I feel like here in America it is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's something that we can come back to pretty quickly. And that's one of the missions that I want to bring forward through the um, Mindful Earth Alliance is really helping farmers get into places where they can um, – be farming and be supported in farming to use techniques and practices that will get them closer and closer to uh, to listening to the plants, listening to the land, and farming in resonance with the land, allowing more synchronicities to happen, allowing more um, abundant life force to come out of what they're they're growing, and therefore allowing with a higher nutritional value to the people that are eating it to allow them. And this is one of the key teachings of Rudolf Steiner was unless we're eating high nutrient dense food, that it's going to be harder and harder for us to evolve as humans to become um, knowledgeable and uh, in communication with higher worlds. And I feel in, in, in a pretty clear sense, that's one of our, you know, main purposes here on the planet um, is learning and becoming really clear channels of light as some, as it's seen in some ways and other, like in the Tao sense of being the greatest conductor or transformer of energies between earth and sky. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, to me, farming is one of the ideal um, practices. It's a, for getting to practice the earth sciences and working with the life sciences. Um, and we always used to make the uh, analogy that it's not work. It's, you know, it's farm foo. It's like Kung Fu of the farm. So go to yoga practice, come work on the farm and apply, you know, using proper body dynamics, you know, while working on the farm and, allow yourself to uh, come into a natural rhythm that way. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, and just to come back to Steiner, I mean, it seems like Steiner was um, trying to reanimate these indigenous practices. And to me, it really it feels like he's, I don't know, he channeled 
uh, what the ancient indigenous Europeans, or maybe even not so ancient, but what the indigenous Europeans were doing in terms of how they related to the earth uh, um, and bringing in the cosmic forces. But um, do I just say a little bit about biodynamics for people who aren't familiar with that field? Yeah. So biodynamic farming uh, was born in the early 1920s. Uh, so I'll paint the picture leading up to that. As we, we just spoke about, you know, the late 1800s, farming was it pretty much not changed so much. People very close to the land using a lot of hand tools for planting and harvesting. Um, and again, they were very close to um, uh, the land and able to listen. And then at the beginning of the 19th century, a big change happened. The um, Industrial Revolution was, you know, building and, um, and scientists knew that there was a lot of nitrogen in the air and they wanted a way to be able to bring that nitrogen from the air and get it back in the soil. And so there were like the industrialists from northern Germany and Sweden and Denmark that came together and they um, perfected a process for doing that. And it was the beginning of the industrial agricultural when they were able to take, um, you know, using a lot of energy, fire and heat and, um, to basically take energy or take nitrogen out of the air and turn it into ammonia. And then another process that was done just after that to create ammonia nitrate, which allowed them to then have, you know, pelletized fertilizer. And so at first farmers just celebrated this win and there was basically, it's the beginning of the NPK stage of farming, which is nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, which are like the three, you know, were identified mid 18th, uh, mid 19th century as three key ingredients that plants need to thrive. And so all of a sudden, as a result of this industrialization, they had these three ingredients and they were just putting them on the fields. And then with the new tractors and um, internal combustion engine, they had all this power to turn the soil. And so, um, yeah, at first there was a couple years of tremendous uh, surplus coming out of the farms. Um, you know, harvests were really good. But then it, they realized that the land's ability to farm certain crops was decreasing rapidly. Instead of being able to do six, seven years of alfalfa on one field, you know, they're finally could only do two or three, and then they have to switch to another, um, another grain or another um, um, vegetable. And then all of a sudden it was less and less. And then they're having to put more and more of this nitrogen on it. And then the plants and the, the harvest were getting less and less. And, you know, some farmers were just dealing with it and moving from one part of land to the next, but there was a number of elder, very well-educated farmers that all throughout Europe were like, this isn't a good scene. You know, we see that we're really degrading the quality of the soil, we're degrading the um, quality of the food coming out, we need help. Well, at the time there was, um, there were several spiritual movements in Europe. There was the Theosophical Society started by M Madame Blavatsky uh, and she was really, um, really well known for helping people come into trance states and then in there allowing spirit to come through and so the channeling of uh, energy of, of light. And then emerged one of her, a member of the Theosophical Society, Rudolf Steiner, who was, you know, in agreement with a lot of it, but he was like, why do we have to go into trance and get out of body to harness this information? Why can't we just become the clear vessels that we need to be and be a direct conduit of it. And, you know, that was kind of contrary to the Theosophical Society. And so, you know, due to that difference and some others, uh, he kind of broke away from the Theosophical Society to create the Anthroposophical Society in 1912. And he was heralded as really 
one of the spiritual savants of the age. And he was um, responsible for bringing the, the form of teaching that really inspires creative development in children. It's now called the Waldorf school system. And, you know, he wrote, God, he was, he wrote like and published 38 books in a process of 25 years. He was just a prolific, you know, writer and Renaissance thinker. So anyway, the farmers were like, Hey, let's reach out to Rudolf Steiner and see if he has anything that he can suggest that we do to help save the soil and the plants. And he was a pretty busy guy. It took them a while to get, uh, to get him really focused on it. Um, but he spent several years visiting, you know, farms. And then in 1924, gave a series of lectures, eight lectures, um, in which he shared a recipe of how farmers can um, restore the land. And this became the basis for the biodynamic movement. Um, and the term biodynamics, I think, was applied to later. Rudolf Steiner never, you know, titled his work Biodynamic Farming. It was just, here I'm Rudolf Steiner, here's some things to do. He called it the agricultural course. Um, and so biodynamic, the name, that'd be a good research for me to just figure out where that actually originated from. But basically what Rudolf Steiner shared in those courses were that the farm is an entire each individual farm is a living you know organism that has to be seen as its entirety of like its own little planet and so at, on a farm there needs to be all the things that feed that farm and so at first it might be necessary to bring things from off the farm onto it because the farm is sick and you know but once you have, you know, and he was very much a proponent of what we would now see as like holistic or regenerative permaculture where you have animals on the farm, you know, so that the animals are eating and creating manure. And then you have, you know, ducks that are eating the snails and you have, you know, guinea hens that are eating your ticks. And so everything's in a balance and, and creating the life force that the plants need and uh, creating a nutrient dense uh, soil for the farm but he also brought in some elements of how the the farm is affected by the cosmos and this is one of the aspects of um, biodynamic farming that really distinguishes it from any of the other bioresonant farming technologies that i practice and it's one of the aspects of farming that I feel is going to really help us overcome the challenges that we're facing now. Um, and we can get into that a little later, but the connection that Rudolf Steiner brought of the effect of what he calls the near planets being, you know, and one of them's not a planet, it's our moon, but the moon and um, Venus, Mercury, and the sun and then the far planets are those on the outside of us, um, you know, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, Pluto, uh, and how they interact with the soil and the minerals in the soil um, is a very key component for bringing and embodying light energy into the soil and the plants. And that distinction right there and the technologies that he brought that you know are from from a first glance are completely um like amazing for people you know he was like hey in order to really rebuild the soil we have to take the manure of a lactating cow and put it in cow horns and we need to bury it in the ground for an entire winter so that it can sit through you know in bulk the time when the you know the darkest time of the year and that's when the the spirit energy is coming from these stars are the strongest and it's going to infuse that you know he he saw this in such a holistic you know multi-dimensional uh perspective 
that he was able to come out with a recipe that allowed farmers the way to make what's now called a preparation uh, that literally lifts the spirit energy on the farm and brings it back into a um, more balanced and more vital and like energetic matrix. And it's such an important teaching and something that, you know, which I learned at this last biodynamic conference is only being practiced on about 40,000 acres in the U S right now. You know, that's less than 0.001% of the farmland in America. Wow. Wow. And so, yeah, I, hearing that and seeing the differences and I guess just to share for your listeners, like, okay, what is the real, you know, difference of that? Well, what happens on farms that I've worked on, you know, the, I have a, a farm that I'm sitting on here. My home farm is called mindful earth farm. When we got here, this, this land was a desert. It had been a horse farm. It had been overrun by too many horses and it was full of, you know, this hard clay that we try to farm in. And it was full of really uh, noxious weeds and a lot of pests. And um, by applying the practices of bioresonant farming and specifically biodynamic farming, you know, we've brought it back to this thriving ecosystem where, you know, the I-5 is a couple miles from here. It's a big highway that goes up and down the West coast of America. And when I first moved here, you couldn't go outside without being inundated by the sound of this highway and it was just completely annoying well now and all but the coldest times of the year you know the the toads the frogs the cicadas the crickets the you know symphony of of insects and plants you know not the plants but the animals around us uh create this like this protective shield around us that we barely hear the highway anymore you know and there's birds that are just like flocking onto our land and you know sometimes eating all of our cherries and you know it's okay once in a while to let one of your trees get mobbed by starlings but uh yeah it's it brings back this balance back to land that is really missing you know it's like i don't know how many people notice the disappearance of birds like when i was growing up you know i remember seeing the blackbird migrations on the east coast and you'd see a flock of blackbirds that was you know not hundreds of feet long but miles long miles long like they would fly over and you'd be like wow and you couldn't see the end of them i remember that from the early 70s you know and then with the ddt and everything that was you know, being used. And then the GMOs, like when I see the, a flock of blackbirds, you know, flying now over the, the red wing blackbirds and, you know, and there's like a couple hundred of them. I'm so grateful they're still there and just really, you know, just holding that prayer that one day that they'll be able to come back into that balance Mm -hmm. that they need to be, you know? And so Mm -hmm. for me, biodynamics is the, most crucial uh, way for us to reconvert farmland into life land, full bodied mm-hmm. life land that has, you know, all the elements that all these creatures need to live in harmony and balance together. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and for me as an astrologer, it's the connection with the cosmic forces that's so exciting to me. And, you know, my sense is that our ancient ancestors considered the sky part of nature. I mean, this was just part of, um, you know, just like the trees and the stars and the planets and it's all, it's all part of nature. And so if we're ignoring what's happening above us and discounting that when it comes to tending the land, then we're missing a huge piece of how we can work with the land and how we can heal the land and then it also makes me think about what Steiner said about cosmic nutrition or spiritual nutrition, that it's not just about, you know, feeding our bodies, but if the if the food hasn't been infused with this energy of the stars and, 
you know, the greater cosmos, then this is part of what traps us in hypermaterialism. And, you know, if, if that's all we're ingesting, then we can't open up to these bigger forces ourselves. And, you know, then we're missing our own spiritual connection. Yeah. And so it also, you know, it also feels so exciting and so important to me, uh, the biodynamic path, because it seems like, you know, the big, maybe the number one issue of where we're at collectively to me is that people are trapped in hypermaterialism, And, you know, and that idea of we're not going to um, change the world without changing our consciousness or without coming, you know, solving problems at the same level of consciousness, whatever that Einstein quote, um, that we really have to open up to another perspective and another way of seeing and another um, other dimensions to be able to heal what what we've created. Um, and, you know, and Steiner was talking about this 100 years ago. So considering, you know, and this is what I want to get into, too, with your work and what you brought up in your talk at the conference is that we are dealing with very different environmental factors at this point. Um, so that biodynamics needs to evolve also to address what's happening a hundred years after Steiner. So do you want to talk a bit about what, what's different now and what, what we need yeah. to pay attention to? In some ways it's like so intuitive. Everybody knows it, but to put some numbers on it makes it really blaringly clear. Like when Steiner, you know, he felt this um, onslaught onto the, this like, um, charge onto the soil, you know, there was the, the beginnings of the industrial revolution, you know, and little chemicals that were being applied, but in the airwaves around us, there were, you know, there were some telegraph lines that had some electrical interference. There was the beginnings of AM, FM, you know, radio signals that were, you know, floating around Europe. And he sensed those already as being, you know, very clear and sensitive being. And he sensed the effects of those on the living organisms, the humans as well. And he spoke to at the time that this, this grid, you know, aka the matrix is going to expand and become increasingly dense. And it's going to have the potential, unless we're really vigilant about it, of cutting us off, cutting us humans off from our own, you know, connection with spirit. And I feel like we are living in a, a pretty clear example of that now. You know, in a quantitative sense, if there was a, you know, a, a one degree of, of interference then, I would say that now we're at like a 10 million degree of interference. The, the, de the degree of change since Steiner's time, you know, 100 years ago, think about it, we have you know, all the the TV lines that came out in the 60s and 70s, UHF, VHF. Then we have, you know, the beginnings of phone lines um, and, uh, and then cellular lines. Then we have all the different, uh, like, harp and, you know, military sonar things that are going on. Then we have, um, you know, the different... Uh, types of Wi-Fi that are going on, the 4G, 5G that's happening. Now we have a matrix of satellites, Starlink, 40,000 satellites that are due to be up surrounding the planet with creating this entire, you know, it really is. If you back out of this and didn't see the physical, but just saw these energetic lines, it really would look like the matrix, you know, um, of gridlock. And it's getting harder and harder to get out of it. You know, we live in a, you know, I live in a pretty remote area of Oregon. And, but when I come back to my valley, I spend a lot of time in the mountains and I'll go out into the, you know, nature. And it's like, I'm shaking off like this energetic, you know, restrictions on my body mm -hmm. that make me feel older and slower and more painful and harder to think. And, you know, I get out there where my phone is just a, a camera because it's out of service. And 
you know, I feel like I'm 22 again. I'm like running and playing and I'm waking up just like ding. And, uh, and I come back to my farm and it's like, I have to put a coat of armor on to be, um, to be able to be fit and strong and get work done. And I sense that more and more is being in this matrix. Um, and I think it's a good lesson to learn. I wouldn't want to be solely like, okay, I'm out there because then if I did come into this, I'd be crushed. So it really is good for us as, you know, warriors, as, you know, leaders of the light to, be able to put on that armor and come in here and do work. But it's also really important for us to know the value of getting out of it Mm -hmm. and being clear. And just, you know, I really recommend to everybody, if you haven't been outside in deep nature where there is no service, where there is no, you know, Wi-Fi 5G to do that on a regular basis, and spend it like a, at least a week there and really feel the difference in your body and your dreams and your ability to intuit and feel and ask questions to your higher self. It's, it's dramatic, the change. It really is. So do you think in terms of biodynamic practices, like in using the preps and, you know, in using these practices that are about bringing in the cosmic forces, do you think that they're not, working as well as they used to because of all this interference? I do. Yeah. I think that because of this interference that um, we need more technology, spiritual technology to be able to hold and, and anchor in the, the higher dimensional light energy for our farms, for our animals, and for ourselves to thrive on. And one of the areas of bioresonant farming, and again, I use that term as the cloak to encompass all the different forms of farming that really, um, that lead to creating, you know, synergistic life on, on the farm is the area of electroculture. Um, and electroculture is basically harnessing electrical and magnetic energy um, into the farm, into the soil. And once you do that, it, it creates uh, an environment that plants are able to thrive in again. And so to kind of paint a picture, if you um, imagine a old growth forest, you know, without any effect of, of matrix energies around it, uh, no one's putting fertilizer on those plants. They're all, they're growing again in this matrix of the soil and the plants. And um, and there's a, a strong magnetic field that's already there. And the plants just kind of grow into it. And so on the farms now, when we're, we don't have that energetic um, matrix of life, we have to recreate it. And one of the ways that people are finding, and this is an old science uh, in the early, you know, 18th or mid 18th century was some of the first work that was done with this is people realized the value of copper and of using copper in the soil really um, has a positive effect on uh, leaving uh, the ionic charge in the soil in a way that can help the plants grow. So, you know, there's different ways of of practicing electroculture. One was actually to use, you know, batteries and generators and running, you know, conducting energy, electrical energy through the soil. And another, I call it atmospheric um, electroculture, is just basically planting rods, um, antennas of copper, uh, coiled copper specifically in in and around your garden to create an electrical field, electromagnetic field um, around the garden. And it's funny how this has come back into vogue now um, in the last couple of years, because we need it now more than ever with all of these charges around us um, from the things I just mentioned that, uh, 
and the effects are really dramatic from doing that. Um, like I mentioned, the effects from applying the biodynamic preps and using biodynamic um, planting techniques, uh, creating a strong atmospheric electric charge around the farm is like an invitation to animals. It's an invitation to insects. It's an invitation for the life force to grow on the plant on, on the farm. And I've seen, you know, some of the most dramatic increases in growth in plants just from, you know, planting an antenna in the ground next to them. And it's like the antenna is bringing in that energy, recreating a strong magnetic field around those plants. Um, and yeah, and this is an infant technology, the, the way that I'm applying it. And it was interesting to meet some of the people at the biodynamic conference that have been working in this field already for decades and taking it to the next steps. Um, uh, there was a, a group at the, at the convention that's been applying um, biogeometry and uh, infusing that into that energy of biogeometry and radionics into uh, electroculture antennas Ooh. and create more of a, a Tesla field um, and claiming, I haven't yet seen it myself, but claiming tremendous effect on larger scales. So instead of, you know, having antennas that are bringing in, you know, every couple hundred square feet, they're claiming that they can plant one of their devices and, infuse a five acre farm you know with higher dimensional photon light um that doesn't it's not a shield against uh against other energies that are coming in but it's just a higher dimensional uh light energy that the plants are able to access and the animals are able to access and i you know highly believe there's um, possibilities that this type of new technology, you know, can be a real savior for our struggling agricultural and full sphere, you know, life force on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, if this is a time where we really need to, like, let go of our thoughts of, you know, what are the limits of our, you know, subtle technologies and embrace them and try them and allow um, people who are gaining access to these uh, downloads to really um, to let them lead the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's exciting what what people are inventing, but also bringing back into consciousness, into awareness. And I'm curious too about um, so you know you talked about the the changes in agriculture back in the 1800s with industrialization and all of that, but now it's like even more extreme with genetically modified foods and how those um, the GMOs will transfer themselves from farm to farm. And if you have an organic farm, it could get infested with that. I'm curious about uh, any thoughts on how we, how we deal with GMOs. I mean, besides getting rid of them, but seeing that that's not happening anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, the whole process of genetically altering you know the structure of the life force of foods and mixing them with you know things that aren't even plants and uh, creating terminator seed plants that don't create seeds you know this is you know in my perspective one of the the greatest challenges um, that we face on the planet right now uh, a lot of the um, the research that's, you know, been done has shown that, you know, feeding these things to generations of animals create uh, a complete disruptance. And it's not just the genetic food, but it's like in order to, um, you know, to grow these GMO foods, they have to have pest control that kills 
everything else except those things. Mm-hmm. So you come up with the, you know, the roundups and, and these different type of, you know, herbicides that are anti-life except for the GMO f- plants are immune to it. And so, you know, in the studies that they don't publish, you know, it shows that after five, six generations, the animals that are exposed to that stop reproducing, you know, and you look at, you know, what's happening on the planet and the number of, you know, the increase in autism, the increase of, you know, just inability to create healthy, happy, holy children. And it's, it's time for people to really put an end to this. And, you know, like Europe, it's illegal. GMOs, they forbid it years Mm. ago, Mm. you know. Uh, But there are forces here that because our government is so influenced by the pharmaceutical, chemical, corporate world that, uh, you know, they pretty much own the EPA and the USDA. Um, And so it's, yeah, until there's a, a real... Um, evolution slash revolution within our government and how it's being run and who controls it. Uh, we as consumers, we as people need to protect areas, you know, and this is where we need to stake our, our claims of like, okay, you know, until you guys grow up and stop doing that everywhere else, there needs to be certain areas that are refuges um, where life in balance is maintained and held sacred. Mm-hmm. They really do. Um, mm-hmm. And using these bioresonant farming techniques is a really beautiful way to do that. And uh, um, yeah, keep communities together. I mean, one of the biggest challenges we face as small farms, as small farmers in America, is the challenge it is to have multiple homes on a farm. So many areas that the uh the zoning laws prohibit it you know unless you have over 180 acres you can't have two houses on a property i'm like who does that sir you know like i have a six acre farm this would be a great place for three families to like live together and and farm you know and and it's a challenge so um re you know as farmers stepping up and and petitioning to change these uh, zoning regulations is really important, you know, and allowing us to recreate family farms, community farms so that we can do it together and not just have that mentality of like, okay, hire workers and, you know, where the workers going to live. They can't live on your farm and uh, they have to be somewhere. So there's a lot of challenges for farmers and for community in general and, and I, I love how your interest in farming as a astrologer and as a spiritualist. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm so happy because to me, it all works together. You know, my vision of a, a balanced farm, community farm is one that has, you know, and not just farm, but you have community that has other aspects. You have healers and you have people that are creating and crafting and even technologists and, you know, all the facets that allow life to be balanced, but it's done so in a way that allows each of us the time to take time off and go really deep and connect with nature, connect with spirit to meditate again um, and bring those gifts back to the community. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we have, you know, the farm taken care of, we'll take care of your kids this week while you go sit up in the mountains and meditate. Oh, you know, that's a beautiful vision. Yes. <laughs> that's what we need. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's why one of the visions for why, why I created the Mindful Earth Alliance is to really help get lands under this type of farming that will allow us to uh, recreate community farms and community villages that we can co-create together and support one another to, um, yeah, achieve our highest goals. Yes. So for someone who's tending a garden or a small farm and wants to just start practicing some kind of bioresonant 
technique, what would be like an accessible entry point, do you think? Well, you know, I feel that the work of Elaine Ingham, the Soil Food Web, uh, is a great access point for everybody um, right now. I think it's it's easily accessible. Um, her website even has uh, a a ton of really beautiful animations. You know, for people that haven't gone to school and studied, you know, soil biology, and that can be so intimidating for people that you know aren't trained in that to know the secrets of the soil. But Elaine has this beautiful way that she can teach it to a kindergartner. You know, she doesn't she. She's probably one of the foremost soil scientists in the world and can, you know, could lead people into a conversation on any level of depth, but she can also bring it back to just the, such a simple, you know, analogy that a five-year-old can understand it. That look, here are these plants, they're bringing this stuff in from the sun and creating sugars and starches and they're feeding it to these microbes and, and how do you build it together here? We, you know, we create a, we bring in a lot of, of carbon into the soil and we feed it what it needs. And then the microbes grow and we go up into the woods and we collect microbes from there and we bring it down. Uh, you know, it's just such an accessible way of, of, of recreating wholeness in the, in the soil. Mm. And so I recommend that. I recommend you know, the teachings of Korean natural farming. Um, there's uh, Master Cho who brought Korean natural farming here, you know, four or five decades ago. And his son, Yosung Cho, who's now um, uh, pr brought forth Jadam farming technique, has basically taken the essence of Korean natural farming that his father created and made it, in his words, so easy for yeah. people to practice and to implement and it's so effective you know and biodynamic farming you know i'm so happy that you're taking the time to do the two-year training in biodynamic farming it's it's so essential um and just beginning the journey of reading the works of rudolf steiner in general uh, in addition to his you know agricultural books he has so many books that speak about how to um how each of us can develop a discipline to know higher worlds. Mm -hmm. And once we take the time to do that, um, then we uh, can start gaining our own insights of what the plants need. Um, and then, you know, for people that are really want to learn, I, I say just start farming, you know, start your garden and then take the time to really sit and listen to the plants. Hey, what do you need? See if you can hear it. See if the plant tells you in some way what it needs. Who does it need as its companion plants? What does it need as something to be applied to the soil? And, you know, the quieter we can get our minds, the more, the louder the plants are. I'll just share. You know, their voices can be heard. And, and then take time to go in nature. Take time to go and sit with old growth trees. Um, trees that are over 200 years um, or over 200 years old have a lot to share. And it you know may take weeks. I had the opportunity in 2001 to do a five-month uh, solo retreat up in an old-growth forest in Canada. And it changed my whole world when I got to a point that I was finally silent and the trees were like, finally, somebody can hear me, you know? <laughs> I was just like, whoa. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's all there. But our own internal chaos, our chattering monkeys, and the massive disruption from the, you know, the unseen energies of the matrix around us make it all challenging for us to hear this. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, Great suggestions. Um and and I know we're coming up on on time here, but I wanted to just get your perspective on how you see where we're at in the collective now. I, I know you've you've done a lot of 
work on opening up your spiritual vision. And, you know, there's so many ways to look at this time we're in. And from one perspective, it can seem like, you know, we're screwed and everything's falling apart. And, uh, you know, so I'm curious about how you how you're visioning this time period. Well, there's the symbol of the the yin yang, right? The spiral of life. And there's a a phrase that I like to repeat that's or share. From the point of the darkness, darkness will come the greatest light. And in the yin yang, it's like if you can imagine, you know, everything is getting darker and scarier, and then all of a sudden that that burst of white light comes out and I really feel that we are in those times right now where it just seems so grim. There's so much like, you know, lack of trust in what's being shared on the, you know, media and lack of, you know, intention and what seems like evilness and people just like, Oh, what can I do to even hold on? Well, while all that's happening are some amazing forces, some amazing technologies, some amazing, you know, people and inspiration coming together and there's changes afoot cosmically right now that are really you know they're going to be disruptive uh, but they are going to really uh, help restore balance in the natural beauty of life mm-hmm. and you know might have to save that whole discussion for another opportunity but uh, yeah there's you know I, I think there's never been a time where it's more important for people to really you know, take the time to do the cleansing, do the do the inner cleansing of the body, the cleansing of the mind, the quieting of the mind, the, really the time to listen, because now is a really important time for us all to really listen, you know, how to be, who to be with and where to be. Three really important things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it feels so important to be, coming together with other people who are focused on the healing and focused on positive change, like being at the biodynamic conference. And, you know, when we were talking before we started the recording, just about how we've both been really energized and inspired in the aftermath of that. And it just, it, it feels, um, yeah, just like a kind of a lifeline to be infused with the awareness of other people who are also, you know, seeing the bigger picture and, taking action and really, you know, working toward this more beautiful world. Yeah. The biodynamic conference that was just held outside of Denver and Westminster was such a, a joy and a treasure trove of, of amazing people. Like, yeah, I feel so inspired coming from there and, and also to really feel that, you know, in some aspects when we're so, wrapped up in our own lives we feel like we're working in a vacuum and then to feel that there's so many beautiful like-minded people right near us and around us that that we can collaborate with and co-create with it just it opens the door back up um and yeah it's just a refreshing way i'm really grateful for that Mm -hmm. yeah and if we're if we were just tuning into the mainstream media we would just there would be no hope and no positivity and um nothing inspiring going on there it's just more more yeah. fear and doom and gloom. Um, so let us know what are your current projects and how can people connect with you and find out more about your work? Well, I myself am just coming out of a, a pretty lengthy incubation period. I've been involved over the last uh, 12 years in creating several companies and building them up and letting some of them go on their own and watching some of them come to graceful conclusions and really to have the opportunity to sit for the last year and a half and, you know, develop my home farm and really ask of now this time in my life, what is it that I want to give back? What do I want to share to this area, this area of Southern Oregon, the Rogue Valley where I live that has been so good to me in giving of like, what can I give back to this valley? What can I give to the people? And the, what's really emerged is the uh, the vision of helping steward land. Like, as I mentioned before, 10 years ago, I moved on to this property and it was 
you know, probably one of the least desirable agricultural lands in the area. And I just had this dream. I was like, wow, if I can apply the permaculture biodynamic principles onto this and create something that's a thriving farm, that would be a really good stepping stone to do that anywhere on the planet or in this, you know, bioregion. And, and now looking back 10 years later, I, I just, I really feel inspired to share this vision on other lands. So um, I therefore created the Mindful Earth Alliance to um, offer other landowners. There's a lot of landowners in this area and around the world that have agricultural land, but they're not farming it. You know, they might plant hay on it and flood it with water and then have someone else harvest the hay to keep their agricultural rights. But you know, I see the vision of terraforming these lands to, you know, A, conserve water. Where we live out here, we have very low water and we have irrigation canals that will allow us to farm. But, you know, there's so many smarter ways that we can use the water than it's being used now. So, you know, by applying, you know, permaculture and regenerative farming techniques and uh, creating food forests that really manage the flow of water much better and bringing the long-term food resiliency. Uh, I learned a number of years ago that only 5% of the food that's consumed in this bioregion comes from this bioregion. The rest of it is imported. And this is like an agricultural zone, you know? And so I would love to flip that. I would like to be helpful in, you know, creating uh, pockets of, you know, um, of real nutrient dense food that's coming from the land in this area. And since a lot of the land owners aren't willing or interested in doing that, um, the vision that I have is, is using agricultural land trusts and uh, easements on properties to allow there to be farmers that really want to farm. There's a, a growing number of young farmers, uh, Latino farmers, Asian farmers that, you know, have skills, are open to learning more skills, and really have this, this ambition to farm, but they don't have the, you know, the access to land. So we're basically creating an access fund to be able to allow farmers to be able to farm lands that really need to be tended and stewarded in a way. And so, um, you know, the concept is that will all be done under organic and or biodynamic certification so that as we're doing this, we're creating a brand, we're creating a, a supply of food and nutrients from the land that has all these elements of being nutrient dense, spiritually dense foods um, that will be seen and felt from the people that eat it and mm -hmm. share it. Um, yeah, some of the, the inspiration for this came from really realizing the changes, you know, both politically, geologically and galactically that are happening that are going to that I have a really strong feeling that are going to make us need to be more resilient in our own bioregions. Mm -hmm. And um, again, we'll leave that discussion for another time. But that was part of the inspiration for um why I wanted to um, bring this out. And so, yeah, at this time we have, you know, the very beginnings of our social media opening up. We have a, a website reserved um, and it's being created over this, uh, these holidays. And so, yeah, by the beginning of 2024, we should um, be very accessible as the um, mindful earth alliance um, dot org. And uh, that vision will be uh, stated and shared. And as we get our first uh, support coming in, uh, yeah. And so our intention is to really plant this here in the Rogue Valley in Southern Oregon and then allow it to be a template to be shared and expanded in different parts of the country and the globe. Yes. Amazing. That sounds like just exactly what what we need right now. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, thank you. Well, I'm so grateful that we connected. I'm so grateful we happened to sit next to each other at dinner and uh, <laughs> even before you gave your excellent talk. Um, right. So yeah, thanks so much for talking with me. This is really inspiring 
and useful information. Well, thank you, Emily, for the work that you're doing, for bringing people, yeah, voices to be heard and for, yeah, for um, dancing between fields and getting into the agriculture. And we need more um, spirit beings in agriculture. So, and more big smiles like yours too, that just <laughs> make and feel good. Um, so I, I really am grateful to meet you and look forward to reconnecting. As I mentioned, the area in Colorado that you live is one of those areas that I, I feel plays a really key role in, uh, in the future coming up. And so we'll talk about that another time. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, and I love the idea of what you're creating as a template, which would be very exciting to apply where I am as well. Yes. Yeah. Great. Near you. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. You're so welcome.